This is The Drive Podcast with Josh Graham. Welcome to the internet, my friend. How can I help you? Check out The Drive weekday afternoons at 3 on WSJS Sports. Thursday Drive, WSJS, New Stock Sports for the Triad, where Wake Forest might not be the best team in the ACC, or even here in the state of North Carolina in that matter, but after watching them last night, they are the most exciting team we've got around here, and probably the most exciting team in the league when you think about it, because for Wake, the action is the juice. Will Dalton, our executive producer, just testing him there since he watched Heat last night for the first time at the movies. We need to figure out what his next movie is going to be. We haven't made you watch The Departed or Goodfellas yet. Maybe we can run it past Ian Eagle when the NSMA National Sportscaster of the Year joins us at 5.30. Do you think Ian is qualified to pick a good movie out for you? I don't know. I don't know if he's a big movie guy or not. We'll figure it out. I mean, if he's anything like me, then probably not. He seems cultured. We'll see if he can help us out in that regard when he joins us around 5.30. But getting back to the Deeks, nobody in the ACC is more exciting than Wake because nobody's offense is more exciting. And last night was a perfect example of how scary they can be. Tell me which ACC team can do what the Deeks did last night, and that is drop 90, and have three different players on your team score 20 apiece, and none of those three players are your leading scorer. Take North Carolina. North Carolina, if you look at the Ken Palm evaluations of players, Ken Palm says they have three guys who are really good. Armando Baycott, Caleb Love, Armando. and RJ Davis. If those guys aren't great, North Carolina's probably going to lose the game. North Carolina's probably not going to be scoring a lot of points. Case in point example, you're at UVA. Caleb has a bad first 30 minutes. Armando goes down a minute in. And you're not winning the basketball game. Wake Forest got 20 from three different players. And Ty Appleby wasn't one of them. And Appleby's one of the five leading scorers in the ACC. Their offense is spectacular. And since ACC play began, no team has scored more points per game than Wake Forest has. They've scored at least 75 in their last five games. But this is the part where excitement comes in. Excitement isn't always translated to successful or great. Exciting means that, as a product, it's entertaining. And Wake Forest has been a roller coaster. Watching them play, you don't know what you're going to get. You don't know if they're going to be able to hold on to any lead. Doesn't matter if they're up eight against Loyola Marymount with 80 seconds left to go. That was a situation where they blew that lead and lost in overtime. Or they're up 20 against LSU in a game they lost. Or they're up 18 with seven minutes left to go at Louisville. And it's a three-point game with a little less than three minutes left to go last Saturday. And that's against Louisville, who's horrific. No lead is safe. 
So you're locked in. What's going to happen next? And then there's Damari Monsanto. The Damari Monsanto experience is a little bit like Caleb Love. If Caleb Love were benched a month ago and Caleb Love was often coming off of the bench and if Caleb Love was, you know, playing in the Southern Conference just a few years ago. Damari is lights out and he's got this swagger to him and he talks trash and he hits shots. He's just a microwave. He was six of seven from three last night, hit his first six three-point attempts. And that's really what he's been over the last few games. He's going to put the shots up completely unconscious. Only two guys. Again, a lot of the time he spent coming off the bench, and only two players in the ACC have more three-point attempts than Damari does. Here was Forbes talking about his night. On offense, Damari got going, man. He he shot he shot the living the crap out of it. And every time he shot it, I thought it was going in, and it was. You know, and I thought he played I thought he played a pretty good floor game for a guy that, you know, is hot like that. He didn't just go hunting in every possession. He's kind of he's matured, you know, in that in that area. That's a good sign that he's maturing a little bit, having more discretion with shots that he pulls. Wake Forest, they've become the most exciting team in the league. And if you're a Wake fan, you're certainly rooting for them to make the tournament. But if you're an ACC fan, if you're just a college basketball fan at large, this is a team you should be rooting for because Steve Forbes is a lot of fun, as we've known him coming on the show like he did earlier this week, wanting to talk about everything that isn't even basketball-related. I forget. What did we get into? Schindler's List. Schindler's List. World War II. Saving Private Ryan. Bruce Springsteen. You're going to get his Williams. tickets if they go to the Elite Eight. That's right. When they go to when the Elite Eight. Yeah. I'll get those tickets. He has a sense of humor, and his players are fun, and he brings in really entertaining guys and runs an entertaining style of play. We need them to get into the NCAA tournament. On Twitter, at WSJS Radio, if you want in. That's also where we're streaming video. In addition to YouTube and Twitch, 336-777-1600. Will Dalton taking your calls at 336-777-1600 and taking your movie recommendations as well. Wild Card Weekend, just about here. A couple days away from it. A reminder that we're going to be carrying all but one of the games this weekend. We are your home for NFL Wild Card Football right here on WSJS. Getting to the Panthers. The latest update we have is this. Carolina's requested interviews with Niners defensive coordinator D'Amico Ryans and Patriots inside linebackers coach Gerard Mayo. Both feel like long shots because if David Tepper is going to hire a defensive coach, you'd think he would hire Steve Wilkes and be done with it. The fact that they're interviewing D'Amico after interviewing Wilkes two days ago is a little bit of a concern for his chances. A little bit of a concern. The fact that he's such a strong candidate, you would think, and they're interviewing double-figure candidates concerning two, to me, in the end, it feels like the job's going to come down to Frank Reich or Steve Wilkes, with Reich having the advantage. And this is why I feel this way. Jim Harbaugh isn't really much of a consideration. He 
is not even interviewing with the Carolina Panthers. So we should stop talking about the possibility of him being the next coach. Shane Steichen. Why would he choose the Carolina Panthers over the other jobs he's up for? He's an offensive guy. Carolina, a better run organization than Indianapolis is? No. Okay. Denver. Yeah, Russell Wilson didn't work out last year. That's still Russell Wilson. You're not going to give that a run? You're not going to run that one back? Arizona, they do have a quarterback in Kyler Murray. So Shane Steichen might be the best assistant available. Who's to say he chooses you? And David Tupper has said he doesn't want to repeat the same mistakes that he made last time with Matt Rule and given an unproven coach, a seven-year contract and all that. You don't think those coaches are going to expect they're given what Matt Rule was? And you say you're not going to give them that. Okay, well, then what happens? They're going to choose you over some other opportunities? Tough to say. If those are the top flight dream scenario coaches, perhaps we need to talk about more realistic options for Carolina. The reporting has suggested Tepper values head coaching experience. Kellen Moore doesn't have that. I have no idea why Ben Johnson, Ken Dorsey, and Mike Kafka are getting interviews. I don't get it. Those are, they've been play callers for one year. You don't remember the Joe Brady experience two years ago where he was getting head coaching interviews after one season with Matt Rule? How did that look a year later when he was fired in the middle of the season? That should be enough for Tepper to say, I haven't seen enough. We're not going to hire one of these guys. Unless the intent is these are guys who potentially could be your offensive coordinator. I don't know about that, though. Tepper, he probably looks at Kellen Moore, too, and thinks, I hear the Dallas fans that are begging me to hire you. And if they don't, if they want you to leave, then why would I want you to come? Tepper doesn't strike me as a guy who's going to be able to resist hiring an offensive coach. He'll talk himself into the Super Bowl that the Eagles won with Wright calling the plays and, hey, we can sell it. Hey, Panther fans, they want Steve Wilkes because he's one of their own and the Panther ties in Charlotte. Well, Frank Reich has family that coaches in the area. and Frank Reich spent one year with the Panthers. That's almost the same thing, right? I can sell that. Good luck. It'd be underwhelming if that were the case. It does feel like, to me, that's what it's down to. Wilkes and Frank Reich. And I would give Frank Reich the advantage between the two. The Drive with Josh Graham, only on WSJS. Our next guest was just named this week the National Sports Media Association's National Sportscaster of the Year. It's Ian Eagle of Turner, CBS, TNT, and Lord knows what else, who's joining us now on WSJS. Few work as hard as he does. Lord knows he's probably in a gym right now uh, knowing how hard he uh, works and how often he's doing games. Ian You've been to several of these award ceremonies in the state of North Carolina back when it was in Salisbury and now in Winston-Salem. So you know how prestigious the National Sportscaster of the Year Award is and that really you're only talking about titans of the industry that have won this award decade after decade after decade. 
So knowing that, what does it mean to you that your peers have voted you the National Sportscaster of the Year? Oh, Josh, thanks for having me, first and foremost. And you just nailed it. It's the fact that it is your peers. They know and recognize what it takes to do this job well, what it takes to show up at a broadcast prepared, and then what it takes to deliver on any given day that you're doing a television broadcast, radio broadcast, NFL, college basketball, NBA, tennis, whatever it might be. So that part of the equation is probably the one that resonates with me most, that it's voted on by broadcasters and those that work in the industry. And to feel that level of respect and appreciation is the ultimate feeling within our business. From a national perspective, Ian, getting to the NFL, and we will see you and hear you doing NFL football, of course, um, for CBS. And uh, for Westwood One, too, will we hear you on yep. the postseason? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll be in uh, Jacksonville on Saturday night for Westwood One doing the radio broadcast. I still may wear makeup, Josh. I, I just <laughs> dig it, but we'll see. Yeah, we'll yeah. see how I feel when I wake up. Right here on WSJS Saturday night, you can listen to Ian's call for the Jaguars-Chargers game. From I'm interested, though. We, we get the localized, maybe stuck-in-our-bubble perspective of Steve Wilkes and where things stand with him after a 6-6 six and six finish. You were on the call for that Thursday night win, I think, mm-hmm. against the Atlanta Falcons when he Correct. really started to get it fired up. So from your perspective nationally, is is it that Wilkes as an interim is always going to be fighting an uphill battle to try and get a head coaching job? Or do you think 6-6 six and six is remarkable enough considering other interims you've seen in the past that, oh, he probably has a really good shot here? Yeah, it, it's interesting because I bring two perspectives Obviously, I'm not living in that market. I'm not seeing what's happening on a day-to-day basis. But having done Nets games for the last 29 years, I know what it is to be in the weeds with a team. And then you hear others from a national perspective that share their opinion. And sometimes you think to yourself, well, that's, that's not right. That's actually incorrect or that's erroneous. But it becomes a narrative And that narrative can grow and live. So I recognize how uh, precious this is based on the fact that uh, there are those that are in the know and there are those that claim to be in the know. With Steve Wilkes from the outside looking in, it just felt like he did a very professional job and it was broken. He took over a team that needed guidance, that needed motivation and needed structure And he came in and did that. The respect level is very high. You can tell from his players. And it is a feel-good story. To me, uh, again, outside looking in, it felt like he did enough to earn the job. Now, I recognize I'm not around it every day. I don't know what the agenda is right now. I don't know if if David Tepper is just looking for a big name and someone that uh, can, can be the face of the franchise so to speak. So the direction it goes in, I'm not sure. I know for those that I speak with that follow this very closely and live in this world, most of them would say, no, he he did enough to earn the job full time. The Carolina Panthers strike you, Ian, as a team that's likely 
to take a big swing at quarterback. And when I say take a big swing, how likely is it that the Chicago Bears are picking number one? Right. That's that's the the $375 million question because <laughs> you're the Bears. It's not working right now, but you saw moments where their their guy is electric. And the fact of the matter is it's still early enough in his career to be a factor in this league. The only problem is you know, when you look at Running quarterbacks, there is a shelf life. At some point, they're going to get hurt, and they're going to get hurt to a level where they miss an extended period of time. And now you really have to tailor an offense to them. So to bring in an experienced backup quarterback who won in a previous uh, iteration on another team, it doesn't do you that much good if you're basing everything on a running quarterback. So I don't know. I don't know what the Bears are going to do. My sense is that they will not trade that pick and they're going to stick by their guns or uh, they'll trade it because they don't need a QB and they feel like they can still get a, a high-quality player high in the draft. So you're Carolina. You're looking for the guy that's, that's going to lead you for the next 10 years. If you truly believe he is in this draft, you've got to consider it. Just look at the playoff teams right now and the game that I'm doing in particular. You're talking about two teams whose fortunes have changed based on the fact that they have the quarterback and that they are writing in that person's name for the next decade. That's where you want to be in the NFL. Everybody else that's not in that position is trying to get to that position. So you know what the objective is. You know what the solution is. How you get there is the hardest part of the equation for NFL GMs and owners. Ian, Ian Eagles with us here, National Sportscaster of the Year. He'll be in Winston-Salem this summer. We'll see, depending whether or not the, I don't know when the NBA final schedule is. We'll see what the Nets do, for example, later this year, but plenty yep. of months to figure that out. Um, Ian, I don't know if you know this about the area you're talking to right now. But Greensboro, Winston-Salem, High Point, we might have discussed this in the past. Even if one of our local teams are not playing in the Final Four, I think more than a decade running, one of the top three television markets for the Final Four has been Greensboro, Winston-Salem, High Point, where we're at right now. Even if there's yeah, not maybe. a one of our local teams, few areas love college basketball more than ours. Your employer, CBS, confirmed that. After this year, and it's what a great run Jim Nance has had on the Final Four, and he's going back to Houston, a place that means so much to him, to broadcast this Final Four for uh, CBS later this year. Yes. It's going to be his last, and then you're going to be the guy to carry the torch after that. Aside from the obvious professional reasons, how special is this assignment to you? Well, it comes with a great deal of responsibility, and I think that's the part that that I acknowledge very early. It's not as if uh, college basketball is new to me and the tournament is new to me. I've worked the event for, for 26 years. So I know what makes it tick. I understand all of the reasons why America falls in love with this event for three weeks. 
And as you said, um, I'm succeeding, Jim Nance. Uh, that's, that's an unprecedented run that will never be matched, unparalleled. I'm not replacing him. Uh, I'm just the next guy that's fortunate enough to put the headset on. But my mentality will, will be the same. Uh, I'm someone that really believes in letting the action speak for itself and obviously bringing energy and enthusiasm to the call. And I want to leave all of the participants with some kind of memory, which means doing justice to their story and also providing the, the passion required to call these games. It means something to me because I know it means something to them. So down the road, 10 years, 15 years, 25 years, 30 years, you know, it used to be if you popped in the tape or you put in the DVD. Now it's if you click the link, I want their kids or their grandkids to feel as one with the event, that they were entertained, informed, and celebrated in some way. So that's, that's how I view it. Nothing will change in the way that I approach the event. It's just one extra weekend of calling games, but with it, I recognize it's a big stage and a big responsibility. Quickly, on the way out, two things that are certainly beneath you, welcoming you into the conversation we've had here. We were talking about people messing up our names. Do you correct them? You might have perspective on this and that your name's Ian Eagle spelled I-A-N. Do yeah. you correct people if they mess up your name? Uh, I've had that issue for 53 <laughs> years. So, yes, you might be talking to the preeminent person to have this conversation with. Uh, I do not. I, at some point in my life, decided it's not worth the correction. I'm not offended. I'm not troubled by it. I recognize that uh, some people, it just, it just won't compute for them. They see it, and they can't get iron into their brain. If they ask me why, I'm more than willing to share. Let me hold you up. Let me it. hold you up. What's the example in your head right there, Ian? The time that somebody of stature said Ian and you were thinking about correcting him and you didn't. <laughs> I don't think there's one specific example. I just went through school, uh, as you could imagine, that first day. I had to correct the teacher. I had to give them a chance. But with that, came an extended explanation and i'm talking about from kindergarten on every single year ian eagle uh, actually it's ian what <laughs> why why would it be ian well if you put a br in front of it what do you have uh brian well there you go that would usually that would usually do the trick with teachers some people still uh, they can't accept that as an answer but to me that's the most straightforward way to correct i can picture you in school with the glasses sheepishly raising your hand and say it's actually it's 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 ian uh, how do you pronounce <laughs> brian back then josh it, it was not sheepish <laughs> i was much more aggressive love at it that point. love yeah. it that's great and you have the part how do you spell brian just like when you know, I'm at a bank teller. WD's experience this where he's around me. I'm like, hey, yeah, my last name's Graham, like the cracker. And they laugh every yeah. single time, but people didn't know how to spell it. But well, it's become routine. hundred percent. You give an example, that sticks with people. That resonates. Last, I'm with you on that. Last thing for you. Our producer, WD, seen none of the good movies. None of them. We have a segment every single week where uh, we make him watch a movie. And this week he watched Heat. So... 
We, I mean, oh. that's a very rewatchable movie. I got to put it to you, though. Rewatchable movies, the movies that Ian Eagle has seen more than any other, so that way WD can tell you whether or not he's seen them. Spoiler alert, he hasn't. No, I mean, he's seen Shawshank Redemption, so we, we just recognize he's seen that, correct? Yes, yes, he has. That was last week when yep. we made him watch. No! Yep. We, we made no, him watch Shawshank last week. This is not a joke. Last <laughs> week he watched no. Shawshank Redemption for the first time. Don't, don't. <laughs> we made him watch The Godfather for the first time. Oh, I mean, Dark Knight was not too long ago. See, we're, we're trying to help him. That's 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 why I'm just giving you a chance, Ian, to bring up some movies you like. See that we and can help. Is help it him. helping him? Do you feel like he's becoming more worldly because of this? He understands references that are made on the show more often now. So when I say that the action is the juice, he knows exactly what I, I mean. All right. Nice. Uh, well, what, what about comedy? Is, is he a fan of comedy? Yeah, absolutely. I think like so. Like the classics? He's seen all of them? He's seen the animals. Give me an House, example. He's Blues ne- Brothers. No. He doesn't even know what those are. I know what Step Brothers no, no. is. What? He didn't say Step Brothers. He said Blues Brothers. Oh. No, Blues Brothers. I'm going deeper. I'm going 70s, 80s cut. Stripes, Animal House, Blues Brothers, Caddyshack. Those four. Have you seen Caddyshack, WD? I have not seen Caddyshack. Okay, that's it. Oh, that's boy. the movie. He doesn't know what those other ones are, so Caddyshack's oh. the movie we're going to make him watch. I know that's David Glenn loves it. That's it. David Glenn did. David Glenn was a fan of that. That's exactly right. I, I feel like w- this is just like a starter course. I'm not, I don't even want to get into <laughs> like art house films that I enjoy. I just want you to start with any of those four. Begin with those, and then we can start graduating to some other stuff. Perfect. So Caddyshack, that is your movie for next week, WD. How's that sound? It sounds like a plan to me. No, 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 no. Okay. <laughs> no I idea am, what that meant. I am, nope, he doesn't know what that means. That's the point of doing this. Ian, thanks for the time. Was I right? Are you in a gym? Are you at Celtics Nets tonight, for example? No, 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 no. It's a TNT game. I am off. I am heading to Jacksonville tomorrow, and then I have Nets Oklahoma City on Sunday early evening before heading to the West Coast for Clippers, Sixers, and then back and forth we go. You slacker. Talk. Congratulations. Congratulations on the award, though. It is well-deserved, and I know you've been in that room many times hearing those speeches, so I can't wait to hear what your speech is going to be later this year. Yeah, very excited, Josh. I truly appreciate it. I believe it's the first time we met was at this event. That's right. So we'll have a little reunion, and I'll buy you a drink, although I don't have to buy because I believe it's open bar. So I'll get you a drink. (laughs) That sounds great. Thank you, Ian. See you, guys. There he goes. Ian Eagle, uh, one of the best in the business. Check this out. We're on at five. The perfect blend of sports and pop culture happens this evening at six with The Rich Eisen Show. Okay, let's get this show running. Now back to The Drive with Josh Graham. We went 2-1 last week, which means we have not had a losing week in Graham's Gambling for three months now. The best season we've had, 66-52-2, and entering the NFL playoffs, we intend to grow that number. Six games in wildcard weekend, five of them you can listen to right here on WSJS. I have a pick for Saturday a pick for Sunday, and a pick for the Monday night game. 
that we get to right now. If you're not gambling, come on now, let's talk some money. You're not trying. You are so money. You don't even know it. But you do. Let's play some bets. I'm going to make you rich. This is Graham's Gambling. Saturday night, Jaguars Chargers. The Jags are at home. They're getting to. We'll take those two points. And we'll take Duval. The Jags. With Doug Peterson, who is up, he is 5-0 against the spread as a playoff underdog. We like him in this spot, too. Also, in the last 15 wild card situations that a home team was an underdog, 12 of them have covered the spread. This is ripe for an upset that really shouldn't be much of an upset. Give me Jacksonville to win the game against L.A. Send me that cash out, fam. Sunday night. This is a fingernail biting. Hold on to your butts. Oh boy, this is going to be worrisome. Special. No top, no Lamar Jackson for the Ravens, but we've got Baltimore anyway, plus nine and a half in Cincinnati. Send me that cash out, fam. I like. Cincinnati, I think they're going to win the game, but it's a divisional game. And Tyler Huntley's not bad. And I trust Harbaugh enough to say nine and a half points is just too many points. General principle. We're going with Baltimore to cover that number in Cincinnati and keep things close. Monday night. Bucks cowboys the most intriguing game we have I would argue, on the wild card slate. Another game that's ripe for an upset. As I mentioned, 12 of the last 15 wild card home underdogs. Don't know why I put emphasis on the second syllable there. They have covered. Tom Brady is 7-0 straight up against Dallas, including the season opener this year, which Tampa won in Big D 19-3. There's a lot swirling around the Dallas Cowboys right now with Mike McCarthy and some of the Sean Payton rumors that are out there. Give me Tom Brady in the home team and two and a half points. What could go wrong? Send me that cash out, fam. So in review, we like some dogs. Jags plus two against the Chargers. Ravens plus nine and a half in Cincinnati. And the Bucks getting two and a half from the Cowboys. We're on to Cincinnati. You in on any of those? That Ravens pick is interesting. That that's <laughs> that's the one where I look at the numbers and yeah. I see all the trends and things, and they actually favor Baltimore for weird reasons we don't have to get into. And I'm just going to trust that. And I'm gonna trust Harbaugh. And I'm gonna trust the fact it's a division game. And trust the fact that wildcard games generally aren't that high scoring. And that nine and a half points is way too many points to be laying. Started, I think, at six and a half, seven and a half before we started to learn that Lamar wasn't going to play. So there you have it. Jags, Ravens, Bucks, Graham's gambling. Have not had a losing week in three months. Let's hope to keep that going. Tonight's schedule. The Carolina Hurricanes are in Columbus to snap. 
to snap this four-game losing skid. The only point that they've gotten out of the losing streak was against Columbus, an overtime loss a couple of games ago. They're in Columbus. It's an 11-game winning streak followed by a four-game losing streak for Carolina. Let's see if they can get out of that. The Charlotte Hornets play in Toronto again tonight. This is weird. So they played in Toronto two nights ago, and it's not a home-and-home. We've seen that plenty. It's, how about you play in Toronto on Tuesday night and then stay in Toronto and play us again on Thursday night? Cool. Let's hope the Charlotte Hornets have been going out on the town, enjoying Toronto a little bit too much, and that they don't win this basketball game. The Detroit Pistons last night were winners. So Charlotte, again, with the worst record in the Eastern Conference in the Victor Webanyama sweepstakes. If you're looking to watch a game that is of note, that is actually a fun game to watch, well, it's actually a really good NBA doubleheader on TNT. You've got Nets-Celtics, a game I believe the NSMA's National Sportscaster of the Year, Ian Eagle, will be calling for the Yes Network. He's the voice of the Nets. He joins us at 5.30, which means I assume he will be joining us from the Nets-Celtics game that will be played later tonight. Two teams that can certainly win the Eastern Conference. The Lakers have been playing well of late, and they've got Luka and the Mavericks Tonight in Dallas, both these games, Thursday night, NBA on TNT, watchable games. Might give Chuck, Ernie, and the crew a watch and watching these games. Kevin Harlan's got the net Celtics game on the TNT broadcast, but that's what we're looking at tonight. The Canes, the Hornets, well, at least just scoreboard checking, and this NBA doubleheader on TNT. Getting back to last night's hoop. Last night at Cameron, we saw what can happen when Duke has what I'm describing to be identity drift. That's next on The Drive. You're on The Drive with Josh Grimm, WSJS. Our executive producer, Will Dalton, will give his review of the movie Heat in about 15 minutes. If you have ideas for what he might watch next week, send those in on Twitter at Josh Graham Radio at WSJS Radio, where we're streaming video, also on YouTube and Twitch. And WD, I wanted to ask you this. Are you familiar with the expression lifestyle drift? Do you know what that is? I've never heard it before. Lifestyle drift is the idea that when you make more money, you progress professionally in your life. You don't just keep the same lifestyle. When you make more money, you have more expensive tastes. You want a bigger house. You want a better car. You You have lifestyle drift. That's what that is. And it feels like college football programs go through this all the time. Always seems like every athletic department's in the red, even though they make a lot more money than they always have with television deals. It's always the funniest thing. We don't got any money to spend. Well, why is that? Oh, because you keep building a new locker room every five years and you've got a barber shop inside your football program. Okay. That's 
lifestyle drift. In basketball, in sports in general, I think you can go through lifestyle or identity drift. And what we saw last night, I was there courtside for it at Duke, was an example of Duke experiencing some identity drift. They've had good things happen, and thus they went away or have gone away in recent games from what made them successful before they had the long layoff in December. Back when they were really successful early on, it was defense, it was pounding the ball inside, it was bully ball that was winning for Duke. And in the first half against Pittsburgh, they tried to be this one-on-one jump shooting team. And what was the result? You're down 11 at halftime in Cameron. You've turned over the basketball 12 times. There is no reason why this Duke team should be attempting 16 threes and a half. No reason, especially without Jeremy Roach in the lineup. 16 threes. Thank goodness Duke was able to pull it back. John Shire was able to pull them back from this identity drift, and Duke rediscovered itself before it was too late. How did they do that? At home, they turned up the heat in the second half. They stopped playing zone. They went man-to-man and switched almost one through five with all the length they had on the floor. Jalen Blakes was out there slapping the floor. And Pittsburgh, which shot 58% in the first half, shot 28% in the second half. Duke, when you get them in a man-to-man and you get them playing hard, turns out they're a really good defensive team. And on the other end of the floor, a lot more throws into the post, a lot more ball movement, a lot more drives to the basket. And what happens when you drive to the basket? You get fouled more often. And Pittsburgh gets in foul trouble. Dudes are having to leave the game. And Duke's attempting 20 free throws in the second half. Or make it 18. They attempted 18 free throws in the second half. 16 of 18 from the line. This was John Shire on the adjustments made from the first 20 minutes to the second. We're down double digits. And so knowing we can fight our way back. And we just play every possession on defense. And I know it sounds really simple. But I think for us it is. Playing really hard on defense. And then just sharing it on offense, just trusting that it will come, come to you, uh, to me, was a difference of the game. You know, there's too many one-pass possessions in the first half. Uh, too many times we just gave them the ball. And not only does it give them baskets, but it also gives them a ton of confidence. So, um, you know, I, I think we learned that uh, tonight. I'm done wondering how Duke is going to transform anymore. Now that we're talking to you here on January 11th or January 12th. What day is it? January 12th. Done with that. Oh, when Derek Whitehead progresses, when Derek Lively figures it out, Duke's going to be this totally different team. They're not. Duke could be a lot better if those guys do those things. And when Jeremy Roach gets healthy, maybe you do have a little bit more of a three-point element. But this is who they're going to be. Their identity is... We're going to be long. We're going to be big, which will help us play zone at times, but mostly we're going to be man-to-man. We're going to drive inside the basket. We're going to out-rebound you. We're going to be a nuisance on the offensive glass with Ryan Young. That's how we're going to win basketball games, with our length, with our athleticism, 
with our size, and with defense. It's going to be a gross style of play at times, not something you're completely used to when watching Duke, but that's who Duke is. Good on John Shire from pulling them out of that identity drift, having them get back to who they are in the second half, win that basketball game. On Twitter, at WSJS Radio if you want it, 336-777-1600 is the phone number if you have thoughts on Wake Forest or Duke's wins last night. We have tickets to go see Wake Forest Clemson next Tuesday night that we'll be giving away in the next hour or so, so make sure you're sticking around for that. Big NFL news today. If the Chiefs and the Bills meet in an AFC championship game, it'll be in Atlanta at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. And this is significant for a handful of reasons. Number one, they decided to play in the South WD, but not in Greensboro! Title Town? Nah, well. Missed opportunity. Yeah, just total missed opportunity. Think of all the parking. All the free parking spots at the Coliseum. <laughs> but in all seriousness, Atlanta, this is one of the premier stadiums in the league. And there was talk since the Bills and the Chiefs were both outdoor teams. Hey, why don't we just play it at Lambeau? Why don't you just play? If you have the choice to play indoors in January, you should want to play indoors. Not because we're just a fine football. No, no, no. You want to see these teams at their best. Part of the definition of neutral site is you try to neutralize anything that would give one side an advantage over another. And the uncertainty of weather certainly could impact a game between the Bills and Chiefs. That's not what we want to see. If we want to see a rematch between those two teams from last year or replicate the game we saw from earlier this season too, which was great, then I'm down with it being indoors. I thought Indianapolis made sense, but... There were some reasons why that wasn't going to check out. Play it indoors in Atlanta. Not a problem. Let's do that. I don't really understand why people would have issue with it. But this is a bigger question that I have regarding the NFL's willingness to be flexible and to have this neutral site AFC championship. It did surprise me a week ago when they were as nimble as they were, and I gave them credit for being nimble. What percentage chance would you give that the NFL is sampling something here? They're trying something, trying to take from college football, potentially having the semifinals be at neutral site stadiums. In other words, maybe you can have two games in one weekend or no, you just have two other host cities and you could start to work rotations in and get keep other owners happy because the owners are the ones that pay for these billion-dollar stadiums and they might be thinking, well, what's an extra way we can make some money off of this stadium that I'm investing all this money for if I only get a Super Bowl once every decade or once every five or six years? Oh, we'll give you an NFC championship. We'll give you an AFC championship game and throw it that way. 
I mean, you already did neutralize some of the advantages that, you know, actually not neutralized. You already gave a great advantage to the team that gets the number one seed and that you get a buy. Nobody else gets a buy other than the number one seed. So is this just an opportunity for the NFL to get rid of home stadium championship games? I think it's a fair question to ask. It is, and it's not something I've thought about, but, I mean, it's you make some valid points Just there. Just listen to the argument. Like, oh, but you're taking away the advantage of the number one seed. Well, the number one seed's the only team to get a bye. That's an advantage in its own right. Like the Chiefs already have an advantage over the Bills in that they don't have to play this weekend. So you might be thinking, well, we're just taking away the secondary advantage. And you're not going to be at a disadvantage if you're the one seed. No, it's just going to be a neutral site now. I could see that happening. I really could. They might be looking at college football thinking, well, this is, why, why don't we do something like this? Well, why, why don't we take advantage of SoFi and take advantage of Tampa and take advantage of these other sites and New Orleans and have, and make this our own thing to keep our corporate sponsors happy and the owners happy as well? Because that's how they think in the league. Yeah, they they might be taking a look at something here. Maybe. I don't I don't know if that's their intent, I'm, but I'm not saying I mean I think about that Panthers Cardinals NFC title game. I'm man. not saying it's their intent to do this. That's not their intent. They they were put into a tough situation with the DeMar Hamlin stuff. But one of the things I've always said about the NFL, they're usually a reactive league, not a proactive league. And it surprised me how proactive and and uh, flexible they seemed a week ago. And it would make a lot more sense, given all we know about the NFL, if this is something they would already thought about and the DeMar Hamlin situation, as scary as it was, just gave them an opportunity to sample it. I don't to think try it. I don't think you're crazy. The more the more it's marinating, I, I don't think you're crazy on this. Mm -hmm. Chiefs Bills. We'll see if we get it. We'll see if we get an AFC championship game played in Atlanta a few weeks from now. Could Jim Phillips leave the ACC just two years in? That and WD, WD's review of the movie Heat. Oh, man, I had to get it on. Our next on the drive. Now comes the moment that you have all been waiting for. All right, whenever you're ready. This is The Drive with Josh Graham. The biggest college... Sports headline of 2023 thus far dropped today, and that's Big Ten Commissioner Kevin Warren being hired away by the Chicago Bears. He is now the president and CEO of the Bears, and this is fascinating to me because is being a president and CEO in the NFL more attractive, more appealing than being the commissioner of one of the two largest college football conferences? I don't think so, especially when you consider he left a CEO position in the NFC North to take the Big Ten job just a few years ago. He was the CEO 
of the Minnesota Vikings, remember. This is fascinating because I don't, you certainly don't have more power in the sports landscape as one of 32 CEOs and presidents in the NFL than you would being the commissioner of the Big Ten Conference. Something must have soured Kevin Warren, or maybe it's just all financial and commissioners don't make as much as the Chicago Bears were set to pay Kevin Warren, but this is why it might be interesting to all of us around here. Who do we know that was interviewed for the Big Ten job other than Kevin Warren a few years ago? Oh, that would be Jim Phillips. At the end of the day, Jeff. Jim Phillips is about to hit the two-year anniversary of taking the ACC commissioner job or starting his position as ACC commissioner. And it would be more than understandable if Phillips were to try and pursue an opportunity with the Big Ten now. He is a Big Ten guy. He spent five years at Northern Illinois and then 14 years with Northwestern. He tried to interview for this gig. I'm sure Big Ten presidents and folks still have relationships with Phillips and probably liked the way that Phillips stuck it to Greg Sankey in the SEC a year ago before ultimately folding on the 12-team playoff format. That's... He's got to be one of the front runners to take things over now. The Big Ten, it offers more security. It offers more financial incentive, I would imagine. From a security standpoint, it's just the security of the league and the TV contract. And the problems you have to deal with are a lot smaller than the problems that the ACC faces right now. So... To be fair to Jim Phillips, I wouldn't fault him at all if he went after the Big Ten job. At the end of the day, Jeff. If he left, he'd be... This is the thing that's true, though. While I understand him going after such a thing, and we'll get to WD's review of the movie Heat in just a second, he would be perhaps the most reviled figure in ACC history if he were to do this, or at least one of the few. That's just part of the territory. If you leave the ACC commissioner position to become the Big Ten commissioner, that's something that you're going to be viewed as one of the black cats in the history of this league. That just hasn't happened in this league's history, and that's something that people will hold against you especially the folks here in the triad who already don't like you because you took ACC headquarters from Greensboro and moved them to Charlotte and called their afternoon radio host, Jeff. At the end of the day, Jeff. Less so the second part, but that still is funny. But that's... The headquarters thing was always going to happen, and I defend Phillips on that front. What I didn't defend Phillips on was when he had the comments telling us as the new guy, he knows what 1953 represents and Sedgefield and all that. Stop. You're a Big Ten guy, okay? You Don't be the guy who comes in telling us how much you know about this when you just got here. But it was always going to happen because it was something the presidents and the ADs wanted. And that's who Jim Phillips works for. I will defend him on that. I'd defend him if he went after this Big Ten job because 
That's something I think all of us would do in his position as well. But, right or wrong, he will be reviled in ACC circles if he were to get that job. He just would. Let's get into At The Movies with the WD. Unless you're talking about Star Wars. Obi-Wan has taught you well. Movies aren't exactly Will's thing. I don't get it. You uncultured swine! But that's about to change because Josh can't stand it anymore. This is At The Movies with Will Dalton. Heat, 1995. Starring Al Pacino and Robert De Niro, the first movie that these guys did together since being in Godfather Part 2 more than two decades before this movie was released. What did you like about Heat? We finally got around to doing this. Even though you watched the final 20 minutes of this movie while driving your car to the Wake basketball game last night. Which was one of the best parts of the movie, by the way. The shootout. What'd you like? This one is pretty easy for me. It's three different scenes. It's the diner scene. It's the big shootout in the streets, the bank robbery that spilled out into the streets, and the shootout at the end. It's not Edie, for whatever reason, coming on to Robert De Niro when Robert De Niro is the biggest jerk ever to her. What are you reading? Reading a book about medals, lady. I mean, I like the fact that she kind of softened like, him oh, up a bit. Oh, well, why are you reading he a was book a about... Jerk. What are you reading about a book about medals for? He's like, why do you have an interest in what I read or what I do, lady? Yeah, he was he was a jerk to her, <laughs> but she softened him up. I did kind of like that. She's a... Edie's a little bit too lonely. A <laughs> little bit too lonely. And she's a little bit too attractive for me to believe in Los Angeles that she's that lonely. But maybe we could put yeah, that aside for a fair. different conversation. Mm-hmm. Yes, the diner scene... Is great and so then well the shootouts. I'm talking about the one in the beginning and the one at the end. Shootouts, you mean? Yeah. Well, the first one's not a shootout. It's just more robbing the armored truck. Was that no, what you no, said? no? I mean, like the the bank robbery that spilled out into the street and became like a big shootout at the end. No, it was kind of a halfway point. When when um, Pacino shot the guy who had the little girl in his arms. That's the end of the movie. And then. Oh, because, oh, okay, I guess that is kind of in the yeah, middle of the movie. Like a, there's like an hour to go. I yeah, mean. it's a long movie. Yeah. So that is kind of in the middle point. And then you talk about the end where Wayne Grow gets his and then they go out to the uh, airport where Pacino and De Niro meet face to face again. I just think it sets a standard for bank robberies and also for shootouts. Essentially, the first scene of The Dark Knight is a ripoff of heat. Yeah. Like how they broke into the bank with all the jokers, the face to face between in the in the act the face to face between uh Batman and the Joker. Thematically, The Dark Knight is essentially a ripoff of Heat, but I think it was more of an homage. Christopher Nolan's talked about that a few times before, but the way that the shootout sounds like, Didn't you say, uh, or somebody said that this was like the best gun sounds? Oh yeah, ever. Yes, and also technique. Apparently, they used in the military. Like this movie is an example of technique, the way that Michael Mann was very specific about that type of stuff. What didn't you like about Heat? Pacino's wife. I was gonna say Pacino's wife's daughter. Natalie Portman, also a that. nice surprise, but her character 
Not a lot for Natalie Portman to do. No. Until the end when it became really super heavy and she's in a bathtub. Yeah. I, I also had that. Because I, I, I wanted her to be one of my favorite things because you don't know she's the love interest of Darth Vader in those movies. and That's, that's why not I, what I think about when I think a, of Natalie Portman. Oh, I think about it all the time. But it, she didn't do so well in this no, movie. No, she didn't. <laughs> she didn't. You want some pie? When he's in the hotel. That's Wayne Grow. I know. I just probably say it. Uh, <laughs> Natalie Portman, she... Yeah, when she's whiny. in the bathtub and in the hotel, that's that's a good time to go take a pee break. What is the best quote? Mm. Really, it's what insane line reading from Pacino do you like the most? Give me all you got. Give me all you got. Don't waste my Give me all you got. You can get killed walking your doggy. <laughs> L-A-P-D, police department. We just got made. Okay, mother bleeper! I'm not going to get into it, but Al Pacino talking about ass. She had a great ass! And you got your head stuck up it! Oh, that's <laughs> great. You, we, you can't talk about this movie in best quote without bringing no. that up. So it does feel like there's categories here where it's either an insane reading of Al Pacino or it's the action is the juice from Sizemore. Or, I just had to get it on. He was looking at me. Which one are you going with? Mm. I just had to get it on. I like that. I just had to get it on. Yeah. Wing grow. Pie. Rotten Tomatoes score for Heat, 95. 92. 94. Not bad. And that's been... At the movies with the WD.